So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being great and one being terrible, how grateful are you? How thankful are you? We're going to do three weeks of thanks, uh, and we're going to begin this morning. And uh, when we get done with this, we'll be jumping into our third leg of our series on dig and branch out and live it up. Uh, but we had this little gap in, uh, in August, and I have been thinking a lot lately about how thankless I am. And how much more thankful my life needs to be. Now, I can talk about thankfulness and I, and, I, and I can be thankful for certain things, but to actually live a life of thankfulness uh, that isn't based on my circumstances, uh, it isn't based on, on how well I feel like I'm doing, uh, whether it's an up day or down day, but just uh, living controlled by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God to, that, that leads to an attitude of thankfulness is very elusive. It's easy to talk about, but at least for me, it's a real challenge. I'm more like uh, the guy in this story. A couple of buddies were talking on the street one day, and, and, the, and one friend looked at the other and said, boy, you really look down. You really look discouraged. Has something really bad happened to you recently? He goes, oh, you don't, you don't know the half of it. He said, uh, it's just been awful. Three weeks ago, uh, my uncle died, uh, and he left me $40,000. Uh, and his friend kind of said, well, that, that, that's a lot of money. He goes, yeah, but, but you see, two weeks ago, a cousin I never even knew I had passed away, and, uh, and he left me $85,000 free and clear. His friend's getting more and more confounded as the you know, conversation goes on. He goes, well, sounds to me like, you know, you've really been blessed. He goes, well, you don't understand. Last week, my great aunt passed away, left me a quarter of a million dollars. And his friend just finally said, I, I don't understand. Why are you looking so glum? He said, because this week, I got nothing. <laughs> it takes you a second, but I knew you'd, you'd get there. That's kind of how my thankfulness goes. You know, if, if I sense that God has blessed me and things are going well and the kids are okay and, and uh, you know, no troubles, then I, I can be as thankful as the next guy. But what would it mean? for me to actually live a life of thankfulness, uh, to live a life that reflected uh, the thankfulness of Jesus. That's what we want to consider for the next three weeks. First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 19, very short passage. Uh, and I always say, hear the word of God, but this morning I'm going to say, hear the word of God and listen carefully because it's not very long today. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask this morning that uh, you would help us through your word and your spirit to examine our hearts, to re reflect on this question of thankfulness with honesty, with a willingness to consider that perhaps... Uh, we are not as thankful as you would have us be. Lord, we uh, tend to base our thankfulness on how things are going in our lives. Is our health good? Are kids doing okay? Is our marriage on solid ground? Is business going well? Lord, I pray that uh, while those things certainly impact our attitude, that we would see this morning that your abounding love and grace and mercy for us in Christ is the foundation for a thankful life. Father, I have really no right to be teaching this because I struggle with this as much or more as anybody in this room. So Father, we thank you this morning that we're not here to, to listen to man's you know, six great ideas on how to be thankful. 
but rather we come to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we pay, pray through the power of his Holy Spirit and the, and the penetrating eternal power of his word that you would open our hearts and minds. Teach us what you would have us learn. Forgive me my sin, Lord. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sermon in a sentence this morning is pretty basic, pretty simple. Thinking thankfully leads to living thankfully. Thinking thankfully leads to living thankfully. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit uh, and uh, take a, a deeper look at it. But that's where we're headed this morning. I think in order to uh, kind of tackle this, we need to be able to step back and say, well, what are the hindrances? What may keep me from living a thankful life that God has for me, that God desires for me? And so the first place I want us to look is actually in the mirror. I want us to look at our own tendencies. Uh, and as I said, we're going to come to 1 Thessalonians 5. But before we get there, uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit and look at a few other passages. Uh, Paul, in writing to the Philippians, the same guy that wrote 1 Thessalonians, is writing to a different group of Christians. And he sensed that there were some issues within their congregation that he felt compelled to address. So in his letter to them, he wrote the following words, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, Paul is not writing to a bunch of people that don't know Jesus. Paul isn't writing to a bunch of folks who say, you know, I'm not sure about that Christianity thing. And I just kind of want to keep on living life my way. Paul's writing to a group of people that say, we're disciples of Jesus. We believe in him. And, and the question you have to ask yourself, why would you have to tell Christians to live thankful lives? <laughs> why would you have to tell people who are filled with the grace and the mercy of God to actually not be conceited, but rather to be humble? Why on earth would you have to tell a group of Christians who follow a man who says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, that they actually ought to think of others better than themselves? Why on earth should you have to tell a group of Christians that they should look to the interest of others just as much as they look to their own? Maybe Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was on to a truth that we would rather not recognize this morning, and that's this, that Christians can be just as selfish and self-centered as anybody else walking around on the planet. And if we're going to answer this question of living a thankful life, the first place we have to look is in the mirror. The first place I have to consider in the struggle to be a thankful person is not why you're not making my life better so I could be more thankful, but it's rather what is in my heart that is keeping me, that, that, that is hindering my process in the gospel so that my thankfulness is based on everything but God's love for me. Paul understood that self-centeredness that the Christians were struggling with, he also noticed that the self-centered is a root of dissatisfaction and disharmony, Right? Paul understood that if people were disgruntled, they were going to be mean towards one another. They were going to be mean-spirited towards each other because they were struggling with what we call the big me. I'm at the center of the universe. It's all about me first and you somewhere after that. And Paul understood that this was a struggle for Christians. And so he reminded them pointedly that they were off track. And you and I could sit back and say, well, well, we folks at Green Tree don't have that problem. <laughs> That's not an issue in our day and age. We certainly aren't selfish and self-centered. And I would say that in many ways, I see great humility at Green Tree. I see very much uh, a notion in many people's lives of thankfulness, but we must always be willing to self-examine. 
We must never assume out of any form of conceit or arrogance that uh, we do not struggle with this particular sin. David Foster Wallace, who is a great author of the late 20th and early 21st century, is giving a keynote address at Kenyon College in 2005, and he speaks to this notion of self-interest and, and uh, self-centeredness, and he said this to graduating class commencement. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it is so socially repulsive. But it is pretty much the same for all of us. It is our default setting hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There's no experience that you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world as you experience it is there in front of you or behind you to the left or the right of you on your TV or your monitor and so on. Other people's thoughts and feelings have been communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, and real. I think Wallace, who who did not profess to be a Christian, put his finger on the heart of the issue that we, because of our sinful and broken nature, nature, put ourselves at the center of the universe and everybody else comes in a distant second. That is the tendency of the human heart. And if that were not bad enough, the problem is not just that that's our tendency, but what happens when we act on that tendency, what behavioral patterns come out in our life actually impact and harm others. Uh, the author David Brooks, when writing about this, this issue, wrote this. The self-centeredness leads to several unfortunate decisions. It leads, to self, excuse me, it leads to selfishness, the desire to use other people as a means to get things for yourself. It also leads to pride, the desire to see yourself as superior to everybody else. It leads to a capacity to ignore and rationalize your own imperfection and inflate your virtues. The issue is our tendency that is one of selfishness, and that's where we must start. If Green Tree, collectively as a congregation or individually as disciples, if we're going to live thankful lives, we must realize that that apart from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is not our natural bent. Secondly, not only do we have to wrestle with our own tendency towards selfishness, but the world teaches us this. The world pushes us in that direction. I'll give you a couple of examples out of the, uh, out of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is wanting to make a point with his disciples about this very question of self-centeredness. And he's called them together as his followers. He says, now I want you to pay careful attention to this. I'm going to tell you something that, that I know you already know. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their great one exercise authority over them. The big me makes people obstacles to overcome, not objects of God's love and my care. My, my intuition, apart from God's redemptive power in my life, is to look out for me at your sake if necessary. If, if I have to step on you or over you to get what I need, then I'm so sorry you happen to be in the way, but so be it. That is what the world teaches us, to look out for number one, 
to make sure that, that you do all you can to take care of you because nobody else is going to do that. And so if you, have to, if you have to kind of twist the rules a little bit, bend a little bit, that's okay as long as you keep yourself at the center of the universe. Jesus tells another story that, that points this out in an even, in even a greater uh, radical direction. In Luke chapter 12, he tells a story. He says there was the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He had, he had just more crops than he, than he could possibly know what to do. And so he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's the big me right there in, in big, bold letters. It's in a neon sign that's flashing. Think of everything that this man doesn't take into consideration. Notice how Jesus started the story. The land of a certain rich man produced plentifully. Did he have any control over that land? Did, did, did he put that dirt there? Did, was he the one that made sure that that dirt would produce a crop? Did he control the rain? And the sun, did he control the seasons and the way the earth revolves around the sun in order to make it productive? Did he harvest all that and plant all that himself? Are you telling me a man had a, had a farm that big and he didn't have servants that were working for him? People that, that came and, and, and did his bidding, and yet it's all about him. That's what the world teaches us. The world says, make it about you. And if we're going to deal honestly, and if we're going to grow in the area of thankfulness, we got to realize what we're up against. We're up against our own sinful nature. And we're up against a world that says, whatever Tom's going to say next is crazy. <laughs> All right? Take care of yourself first. And then, as is often the case, we come up against the life and the words of this man from Galilee who spoke in such radical ways that the world couldn't help but pay attention and he spoke a very different message and he lived a very different message. And then he died on the cross to give us new life so that he could say, come do it my way. Abandon the hopelessness and the insanity of going about your life without me at the center. Move away from selfishness and move in a different direction. And so again, this morning, brothers and sisters, as pretty much every Sunday morning at Green Tree Community Church, we come face to face with Jesus and his authoritative word. I'm gonna give you two examples of thankfulness in the life of Jesus. The first account we're gonna look at is in Matthew 15, and Jesus has throngs of people following him, literally thousands of people following him, and he looks around, it's late in the day, and this is the Tom Rick's paraphrase, and they're out in the country, and there's no McDonald's drive-through, there's no St. Louis Bread Company nearby, there's no Chinook's grocery store or Deerberg's, there's no place to run, they're not even a farmer's market, there's no place to run and get everybody dinner, and there are literally thousands of people, at least 5,000 people, and Jesus says, well, we better give these folks some dinner, and he sits them down on the grass, and we know the story of the, the five loaves and the three fish where Jesus performs a miracle where he takes a little tiny bit and he feeds a huge crowd of people, and this is part of that uh, experience. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And I think fundamentally, Jesus is simply thankful for God's provision. 
I think he looks at this and says, Lord, I know what you can do with this. Thank you for giving this to us. And, he, and he's going to do something that God intended, which is provide for his people. And Jesus understood that the heart of his father was a heart of provision. And you and I miss that often. You and I think that God is stingy. You and I think that God only blesses us when somebody holds a gun to his head and says he has to because he's, he just does, he's mean-spirited. And he doesn't really like the human race very much. And Jesus understood that the truth is radically different than that. That God is a God who loves to provide. And so before he even fed anybody, he simply thanked God for the provision. He just put it in our terms. He prayed before supper. (laughs) But he prayed a, a prayer of genuine thanks. But I think there was more to this prayer than just thanks for provision. I I believe that Jesus was also grateful for the occasion. He was thankful for the opportunity for thankfulness to be a witness to the glory and the praise and the power of God. And and he knew that he was in the spotlight. And he knew he had said to at least 12 guys there, we're going to feed everybody with this little bit. Now, if you're a disciple, that has your attention, does it not? If Jesus says, you know, this room holds about 400 people, so there's probably about, I don't know, maybe three and a quarter here right now. And, you know, multiply that times about uh, almost 20. And if I said, I've got six Big Macs and I've got four boxes of fries and we're going to feed everybody, you're like, oh, good, I'm going to get a quarter of a a piece of a fry. No, no, everybody's going to have so much that they're going to be full and there's going to be leftovers. Now I'm going to say, I'm interested. (laughs) I'd like to see how this is going to work. And I think Jesus is thankful for that opportunity. I got a, an email about two weeks ago from Netflix, right? Netflix where you can watch movies and TV shows, right? And I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I got the cheapest thing. I got the $7.99 subscription. It's the least amount of money you can spend uh, to watch movies or TV shows. And, and, and Cindy and I, every once in a while, we'll, we'll latch onto a TV show or a series that we want to watch. Um, but we got the cheapest one. Now, my kids uh, jump into my Netflix account every once in a while and use it. And I didn't know this, but I had three screens open on Netflix, which I guess means three people can be watching it at one time. And that's the most you're going to have for $7.99. I get this note from Netflix, not anybody else, from Netflix a couple weeks ago saying, thank you so much for upping your subscription to four screens. And next month's bill will reflect that at $11.99. We appreciate you being a customer for all these years. And I'm thinking, well, we have two TVs in our house, one upstairs and one downstairs. So I don't even need, I, I, I don't even need everything they're giving me already. And I'm very certain because my wife watches less television than me that it wasn't Cindy. So I'm like, hmm, who are the obvious suspects? So I sent an email. Actually, I forwarded this email to my son and his wife, to my daughter and her husband, and to my youngest son who's not married, and said, hey, you know, hey, hey, guys, I didn't order this, just wondering, you know, who ordered this? If anybody did, please let me know. I get a note from Nate immediately. Ha, ah, wasn't me. That's our oldest, right? And that's what the oldest one does. They pass it on to the younger ones. <laughs> He's 33 years old. He's still, you know, business as usual. The youngest one looks at it. Ha, ha, must be Katie, <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, Katie lives in Hawaii, so I don't get anything for her for four hours, right? Because this is like Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. So about about four hours later, I get an email from Katie, and it starts out, Dear Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Katie's 30 years old. I think I've maybe gotten two letters from Katie in her whole life that have started out, Dear Dad. But the first sentence was priceless. Richard told me I should talk to you about this before I did this. (laughs) Um, You know, we, we needed one more screen. Don't, and here's how it ended. Don't worry, I'll pay the extra $4 a month. <laughs> yeah, right. 
It's like, yeah, I was born just not yesterday, Katie. Why do you keep insulting me? So, so I, uh, this is going somewhere, by the way. So I'm still laughing about it. So I write her a note and I said, you know, sweetie, it's fine. I'm happy to pay the extra $4 a month. I really, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I was just curious what happened, right? Why is that? Well, because I, I love giving something to my children. I love giving something to my grandchildren. And by the way, you know how you can go on Netflix and look at what you've watched recently? Here's some of the things that I've watched recently. <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake, The Berry Adventures. <laughs> Mickey and the Bean. Lilo and Stitch. Chicken Little. And apparently I'm a member in good standing of the Mother Goose Club. So, <laughs> I look like a Mother Goose Club guy, don't I, right? So, but I love, I love giving good gifts to my kids, right? And I, I'm, an, I'm an embarrassment at how good God is at giving gifts to his children. And Jesus understood the opportunity that was in front of him. And I'm sorry that story took so long, but Jesus was so thankful that everybody was gonna get to see the glory of God and his provision for his people. And so the testimony of Jesus points to his faith and his trust, with, which led him to act in a thankful way. There's one other I want to I show you this morning as well. Though In Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, we're now at the, at the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross, and he's down to just 11 guys in the room. One of his, his best friends has already left, and he's going to betray him to his enemies. And Jesus is having this dinner with his friends and he gets everybody together and, and he's hosting the dinner. We know from John's gospel that he's the host because he's already washed the feet of the disciples. And Joe mentioned that last week in his sermon about how just basic hospitality was that you wash the feet of your guests. And Jesus has done that. And now they're reclining at the table and they're having dinner. They're getting ready to have dinner. And Jesus is the host, stands up. And when he took the bread, when he given thanks... He broke it and he gave that to them saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I, 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 and I've put on the, on the screen, I believe that Jesus again is thankful for the provision of God, that we have a meal before us and we must always give thanks. Just basically, we're sitting down to dinner and praise God that, that he would give us that. And, and I think that's exactly right. But there's something more profound going on here. And I think the thankfulness of Jesus is, is spilling over into the, the, uh, the understanding that he is giving thanks in every circumstance. I can't imagine that Jesus was in the best mood of his life on the night before he went to the cross. Because think about the circumstances of Jesus at this particular moment. How would you feel if one of your best friends turned you over to your enemy? And they did so by kissing you on the cheek and calling you dear friend and smirking in the process. How would you feel if the other 11 best friends you had, when you really hit your moment of crisis, when the world around you was collapsing into chaos and you were going, you were, you were going to be violated in ways that, that aren't even imaginable, if all 11 of those people in unison ran away and said, we don't even know that guy. How do you think you would feel about your circumstances if you were, you were put on trial publicly and every witness that stood up told a lie about you and nobody could be found to refute those lies? How would you feel if after that trial about thankfulness, if you went and took one of the worst beatings you ever took in your life, the point that it almost left you dead, and then you were nailed to a cross? And not only did you have to suffer horrifically like that physically for six hours, but then God said, now you are going to bear my wrath for the sins of the world. 
And the father that he knew perfectly for all of eternity turned his back on him and he was in utter darkness, screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How do you give thanks in those circumstances? It's not because you look around and go, everything's coming up roses today. It's all good. And yet that is the thankfulness to which God calls you and me. God calls us to trust in him. Notice that it doesn't say trust in for every circumstance, but giving thanks in every circumstance. And even as Jesus faced the cross, he was able to give thanks to his father because he knew what? He knew that he could trust his father. He knew that ultimately God was in control and all of this was going to turn out for his glory and for your salvation and mine. That's why the author of Hebrews writes the following words when he's talking to Christians who are desperately discouraged about following Jesus and they're not very thankful and, 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 and nothing's really going very well for him. And he says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set for us. How are we gonna do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't go around the cross. He went through the cross, and his thankfulness led him there. And his thankfulness sustained him in that moment. That's a thankfulness that I haven't even begun to grasp the outer edges but it's a thankfulness that I want deeply embedded in my own heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters at Green Tree. So how do we see our tendency in the world's teaching, but look to Jesus' testimony and then move in a different direction? And this last observation I have is, because I needed another T, gaining traction. How are we gonna gain traction in this area? How are we gonna grow in avoiding the big me and learning to be thankful? And that's where we come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Paul says four fundamental things here. Rejoice always. In other words, never stop thinking about God's grace, morning, noon, and night. The only way you rejoice always is on God and get it off of, of your circumstances. Because if you rejoice when your circumstances are good, you're rejoicing in your circumstances. If, if you're angry when your circumstances are bad, then, then you're just living based on what's happening at the moment. And Jesus says, it's gotta go deeper. It's gotta be radically stronger than that if you're, if you're going to persevere. So what do we do? We rejoice always. Morning, noon, and night, we're giving thanks and praise and glory to God. And when you begin to do something all the time, what does it become? It becomes a habit, right? You start off, you say, okay, I'm going to try it this week, morning, noon, and night. And you're going to try tomorrow, and I'm going to try tomorrow, morning, noon, and night to, to give praise to God and to be thankful for God because of what he has done for us in Christ. We're not going to stop thinking about God's grace, and it'll be a challenge. And then we'll go back at it Tuesday, and then we'll go back at it Wednesday. And eventually, over the days and weeks and months, it becomes a behavior. People ask me a lot of my job advice for marriage, which is kind of funny that you would think pastors know a whole lot about marriage, um, especially the stories I tell. But I actually uh, could tell you that uh, the secret to a, a, a thriving and successful marriage is very simple. It is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a simple formula. Men, when you get up in the morning and throughout the day and before you lay your head at night, think this thought. How can I, in a practical way that my wife will see, cherish my wife today? And then do that, whatever it is. 
flowers, nice note, a phone call at an unexpected moment, taking the kids. I don't know what it is. You have, to, you have to find that out. But the word is cherish. And every day make it the habit of your life to cherish your wife. Wives, morning, noon, and night, every day, think about how can I show my husband respect and honor? How can I let him know how thankful I am for the sacrifices that he makes for me? And if we have children, our family, and how he goes out and fights the battle day in and day out, how can I every day let him know how grateful and thankful I am to be married to someone of that kind of character? And I understand they're outliers, brothers and sisters, but I will tell you that if you do that every day and it's, it's habitual in your life, 98% of marriages will be great. It's pretty simple. Now, try and go do that. <laughs> it's hard, right? Being thankful in every circumstance, giving praise to God in every circumstance is, is simple, but it is a challenge. And that's where God continues on. Pray without ceasing. Why? Because we need a realistic view of our own sin and our own weaknesses. When I begin to think about loving sinning that way, I begin to think about, man, I got I to gotta make sure I pay very careful attention to that. And I'll tell you before Wednesday, and I'm being radically generous to myself, before Wednesday, I'll blow that. I won't cherish her the way I should, right? And I need to go back and repent and, and ask forgiveness. So I need to pray about that. Why? Because I'm weak. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to blow it. And yet God says I can grow in this area of thankfulness if I will give it to him in prayer. Thirdly, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because God's love and God's power. That's the unshakable foundation of our lives. And it allows us in the circumstance to have a heart of gratefulness for God's mercy and God's grace. And then understanding the fourth thing Paul says here is that, that God gives us perfect gifts. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If it's God's will for me to give thanks in every circumstance, if it's God's will for me to, to pray all the time, pray without ceasing because of my own weakness, if it's God's will that I rejoice in Christ every moment of the day, it's not because he's trying to put a burden on me, but because he knows it's what's going to set me free. It's going to make me alive. And so God gives me this perfect gift of allowing me to follow him in very practical and very real ways. And then he gives me the Holy Spirit. The other gift he gives says, don't quench the spirit, right? The spirit is there to reinforce all of this. The spirit is there to, to say, Tom, here's how you're going to follow. Here's how you're going to trust God today in very practical ways. And this is where your life is going to go. It's going to go to be a life of thankfulness. It's going to be a life that celebrates the grace and the mercy of God, not because your circumstances are always perfect. Brothers and sisters, the other thing that people do with pastors is they, is they tell us about their struggles, and we have struggles. We have struggles in our congregation. People are wrestling with mighty, mighty things. Don't hear me saying, just go out and be glib and pretend like everything's okay. That's not what's at the heart of this message. But even in the deepest difficulty that we face, if our focus is on Christ, we can give thanks because God didn't just promise that he was going to get Jesus home, right? That promise isn't just for Jesus. That promise is for you and for me. The promise that, every, that the end of the story turns out well, right? How many people tell the truth? Don't lie, okay? How many of you go, if you're reading a really good story, starts out, the first couple chapters are really good, and you know you're going to love it. How many of you go to the end of the book and read the last couple pages? Okay, oh, I think probably there's some people not quite telling the truth. There's a few of us though. Okay, I, you know, did he live or did he die? Well, I'm just gonna go to the end and find out, right? I know the end of your story if you're a disciple of Jesus. And guess what? You don't have to worry. 
I know the end of my story is a disciple of Jesus. I don't have to worry. Because there's actually no end. It goes on and on forever. Not in this painful, broken world, but in glory with Christ. And so the author of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, with confidence, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So where we're going to begin this morning as we end with, uh, with three weeks of thanks. We're going to begin with a prayer of confession. And uh, I'm going to invite you, if you would like to, you don't have to, uh, but if you'd like to, uh, offer this prayer of confession, because I think this is kind of at the, at the start of the sermon, our tendency and the world's teaching. We've got to acknowledge uh, that we probably aren't living the thankful lives that, that God uh, has, has for us. And so uh, the first pathway to new life is confession and then repentance. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to read this prayer with me. And then after the prayer is over, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And I just want to give you the opportunity, if you're so inclined, to talk to your Father in heaven about uh, your thankfulness or the lack thereof. And there may be some of you say, you know, Lord, I need help in this area or that area. I need help in not looking at my circumstances. But I want you to have a minute. I want to have a minute to just spend it in prayer personally with our Father, and then I'll close us in prayer. But if you would like to, uh, I want to invite you to pray out loud with me. Our Father in heaven, we praise and bless your name. Through the Lord Jesus, you created this world and have given us everything we need to live and thrive. When we broke faith with you, you did not abandon us, but sacrificially created the pathway to new life through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we were powerless to put our trust in you, you gave us your Holy Spirit so our hearts could become alive in faith. Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. As your people, we should be ever thankful for your love and mercy. But Father, you know we are a selfish people, more concerned about ourselves than others, more interested in our comfort than taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus. Our thankfulness should lead us to lives of compassion, generosity, and love for others before ourselves. This is the example Jesus gave us. It is our calling. Forgive us, we pray, for our ungratefulness displayed in selfishness. Have mercy on us, Lord, when our self-interest leads to a congregation that is inhospitable. Wash away our sin of thoughtlessness and thanklessness. Replace them with hearts that are steadfast in hope, satisfied by your presence, and gratified by your grace. This we pray in the high and exalted name above every name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have a moment of silent prayer.
Father, this is a, a challenging message for us, and I, I think it probably will be for the next couple of weeks. To live lives of thankfulness based on, on your word, not on our circumstances. Uh, it goes against our, our own nature, what the world puts on display for us. But we thank you that the Lord Jesus confronts us through his word. We thank you for the, the witness he gives us, the testimony of a life of thankfulness, even in the face of the cross, so that the Apostle Paul could write to us these words to give thanks in every circumstance, that that's your will for us, because you know when we're at that point, we are really trusting in you and not in our own strength. We are abiding in the Lord Jesus because that is really the only way to deal with this sinful, broken world. But Father, I also think that, that people who are genuinely thankful uh, will, will draw others, to, like moths to the flame, will draw others to the, the truth of Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that our witness collectively as a congregation and individually as disciples would be, a part of that would be a witness of thankfulness because of you and because your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.